Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I'm waiting for the rain. I, I'm, we, we've heard all day about rain and we're going to get rain. It, it was funny. I work my full-time job in Brooklyn Park, and it, it was really a lovely Friday. So I hopped in the car, end of the workday, drove to Woodbury to do a girls lacrosse game on the internet, Woodbury and Forest Lake. The weather over there was terrible. It was cold. It was rainy. The rain stopped. We got the varsity game going a little early. That, that put me in a bad spot. But, but they got it going. Uh, we weren't quite set up uh, to to do the webcast. Uh, they they started early trying to beat the weather, and then the rain came, and it rained really hard in the second half. But as far as I can tell, other than a few sprinkles here uh, in northern Hennepin County, we haven't had a lot. So we'll we'll keep an eye on it for you. It looks like whatever showers and thunderstorms we get in the metro area. Uh, today and tonight will be widely scattered, at least what I'm seeing on radar. So we'll keep an eye on that as we move through the day. A lot going on out there in the world of space. But before we get into that, I want to tell you, typically in this time slot, when we don't have sports conflicts, we bring you Tech Talk with Doug Swinhart. Doug hasn't been feeling particularly well this week, and... He elected to take the day off, but he is on the road to recovery, and it sounds like Doug will be good to go, and we have another opening on May 20th. So, uh, Doug, not feeling well today, but should be good to go on May 20th when uh, the Twins play another night game. I believe they'll be in Southern California to play the Angels on that uh, Saturday night, the 20th. So I just wanted to throw that note out there if you're looking for Doug today. Uh, not feeling well, a little under the weather, but uh, should be good to go in two weeks uh, when the Twins play another night game. Uh, we are joined by Stephen Clark from SpaceFlightNow.com, and uh, Stephen's based at Kennedy Space Center, where there's always a lot of action, uh, thanks to SpaceX and NASA, etc. Stephen, good to visit with you. It's been a while. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, first of all, let's get back to that uh, monumental launch uh, down in Texas. I understand you visited the site. Were you able to stick around for the actual launch 
of Starship. I, I was there uh, four miles oh. away from it when it uh, took to the sky back on April 20th. Yeah, so it made it. Sight, uh... Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. I know you and I have been talking about it now for a long time. It, it finally did launch. It didn't ultimately make orbit. But uh, tell us what it was like. What what was that moment like? Uh, eventually, they had to destroy uh, the, the ship itself. Uh, because it started to veer off course, et cetera, it didn't look like it was going to be able to make orbit anyway. But but tell us about about that experience. Well, I've seen more than 200 launches, Steve, and uh, obviously this was the biggest and most powerful rocket I've ever seen launch because it's the biggest and most powerful that has ever launched in the history of rocketry. So it was a, it was a new type of experience for me. I was about four miles away from the launch pad when it took off, uh, just outside of what they call the blast danger area, uh, where they clear all personnel before the launch. And uh, yeah, uh, we saw the the ignition, and the, the it was like a uh, anticipation, like the tension uh, among us at the viewing site. There were some news media photographers, some space enthusiasts around me. And just a- after ignition to see if the thing was actually going to take off uh, and not be ab- aborted or not explode on the launch pad. And as soon as it cleared that tower, uh, there was just uh, like a release of tension and applause. And uh, we saw the rocket climb into some clouds. Really, uh, it disappeared from our perspective into the clouds for about a minute. It reappeared later. But uh, during that time when we couldn't see it, the uh, the noise, the power of this vehicle was very, very apparent. Uh, it was like I looked down at my pants and my pants were shaking on my legs. It was it was wow. uh, you know, the windows were rattling and it felt like a thump, a thumping uh, sound in your chest. And it reminded me of um, just claps of thunder over and over and over again for two minutes. Yeah, it, it was an extraordinary sight to watch the video ultimately it reached what 24 miles before they had to detonate right right yeah yeah. the flight went uh for about two minutes until uh the starship the rocket lost control and then it started tumbling for a couple of minutes before uh the self-destruct system basically blew it up and uh, that was, you know, the self-destruct system is there in case it does fly out of control. They want to blow up the rocket before it can potentially cartwheel around and reach, uh, you know, a town or, or any populated areas. So um, it it was, uh, you know, the, SpaceX learned some things that they're going to have to fix before they try again to launch this rocket. Uh, uh, but they didn't uh, destroy the launch pad, which is what Elon Musk said was one of the main goals before the flight was to get the thing off the pad without blowing it up. Uh, they did sustain some damage to the pad, but uh, they seem optimistic they can fix that in a couple of months. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm not – that seems to be in as many things with SpaceX an aspirational goal, but it certainly, uh, you know, didn't seem as, as bad as uh, SpaceX had feared a worst-case scenario. And they learned a lot about how the launch pad – responded to the incredible heat and the force of those 33 powerful engines blasting away at the concrete below the pad. That's something you can't simulate in a laboratory. And they also learned a lot about how the, how the vehicle performs in flight. And it was a learning exercise. First and foremost, it was a test flight. 
ultimately, uh, while they figure out those things, they're going to need permission again from the federal government. It was a long time coming. And there were concerns among the neighbors, environmentalists, etc., because, as you pointed out, the power of the launch, if anybody's seen the video, saw it live, or uh, I'm sure there's a number of sites where you can, you know, go, and I don't know if you have... Uh, video of it still at spaceflightnow.com, Stephen. But nevertheless, it kicked up a lot of debris. Yeah, yeah. The uh, There's some video from SpaceX and as well as some news media photographers who had cameras around the site, including our own photographer. You can see you know, bl- blocks of concrete that are the size of, uh, of you know, a you know sofa seat or, or a, a reclining chair uh, in your living room being thrown away from the launch pad more than a thousand feet at over a hundred miles per hour, uh, into the wetlands and into the ocean. And, uh, that, I think that was the big learning uh, thing from, from SpaceX, you know, the rocket itself, they really didn't, you know, they would have been thrilled if it had reached space and reached orbit, but that wasn't really an expectation on this flight because there's so much that can go wrong. Um, but I think one of the big things they learned was, they're going to have to beef up the launch pad. And they spent the last few months, uh, you know, the rocket has been ready to fly uh, for a few months, uh, certainly since the beginning of the year, January time frame. But they spent those three months between January and uh, and February beefing up the launch pad to try to, you know, they knew that was going to be a concern to try to uh, make the uh, launch pad and all the structures on the ground, the tanks more robust to any damage. And it certainly, you know, it seems like that was a good good idea because if they hadn't done that, it could have been even worse. Um, mm. But they're going to have to do more of that before they fly again. Yeah, and one of the things maybe people have seen when a large rocket, in, including uh, Artemis One, flew out of Kennedy Space Center, and then uh, videos of Saturn V launches during the Apollo program, that there's that gigantic flame trench. And, yep. you know, they, they shoot water down into this trench. So when these gigantic rockets launch, it helps kind of mitigate some of the impacts. Is there a chance that they're going to retrofit or have to build some sort of uh, physical mechanism like this to help, you know, at least limit the damage and, and limit, limit the debris field from a rocket like this? So Elon Musk, uh, in in the days since this launch uh, a few weeks ago, he said that the plan before the next launch is to install a, a huge, massive steel plate uh, underneath the pedestal that the rocket sits on. So you mentioned a lot of rockets, including the Saturn V from the Apollo era and even SpaceX's own launch pads here in Florida for the Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy have flame trenches that divert all of that energy and all of that hot exhaust and all of that force away from the launch pad out into, you know, a, a catchment area, basically into open air, away from the launch pad to prevent damage. Uh, SpaceX for Starship has the rocket sitting on a pedestal that's a few stories above the ground. So the base of the rocket is actually sitting a few stories oh, sure. above ground level. And um, the plan before the ne- before the, for for this previous launch, they just had a uh, a, a slab of reinforced concrete below the pad, and that was really more or less destroyed by the by this blast of the rocket lifting off they're going okay. to 
car, excavate that area, put in a steel plate that's uh, supposed to be more robust against those uh, forces from the rocket engine exhaust. And the steel plate is actually going to have uh, water cooling capability where water will be flowing through parts of that steel plate to keep it from the risk of melting or becoming um, less robust by that heat wow. from the rocket engines. And so that that's going to be put in over the next few weeks to a couple of months before they fly again. And they're optimistic that's going to work. Uh, I don't think they really want to have to dig a flame trench. I guess that's still something that they might have to do if the steel plate solution doesn't work because that would potentially require even an additional environmental review by the federal regulators and would take some number of months to to dig and to uh, get ready to for another launch all right uh final thought on this before we take a quick break Stephen. um how optimistic are you i mean you do this all day every day and uh, do a ton of work at spaceflightnow.com based at Kennedy Space Center. Um, you, you make it sound like two months, a little optimistic, but do you think at some point this calendar year they will make another attempt? And will they get permission I, I, to make that attempt? I, I think I think there's a really good chance they'll make another attempt this year. Um, I okay. think it's more likely to be in the late summer or fall time frame uh, at this point, but um, – I, I, the the vehicles they have the vehicles the launch vehicle is uh for the next test flight is more or less ready to go uh, so it's just preparing the launch pad and trying to uh make the launch pad ro- more robust against damage and yeah. and uh yeah. you know and they want to they do want to launch again because they have to prove the thing can get to space and into orbit uh, and then after that will come a number of flights where they're probably going to be testing you know fly test fail on landing attempts to try to recover the rocket because this is going to be eventually fully reusable. Wow. Uh, more with Stephen Clark, Space Flight Now, in a moment here on News Talk, K3OWCCO. Uh, they are flying rockets, including more uh, satellites for their Starlink constellation, and a, a big launch, a complicated launch, for an actual competitor of uh, Starlink. This, this was a gigantic communication satellite that was launched on a Falcon Heavy rocket. Maybe you saw that. We'll, we'll get into that with Stephen in a moment here on News Talk. A3OWCCO. Stephen Clark joins SpaceFlightNow.com. He's based out of Kennedy Space Center, and I check his site often. And it, it has been a busy spot. SpaceX continues to launch at an amazing rate and and there are others in this business but right now spacex is is flat out dominating we talked about what went on with starship and uh they continue to move forward on that program uh but uh they, they have a robust program led by the falcon 9 and then beyond that falcon heavy they had a big week yeah, in, indeed. They had uh, Falcon Heavy launch on Sunday uh, night, uh, six, day, six days ago from here at Kennedy Space Center. And you mentioned that in the tease before uh, at the end of the last segment. Uh, that Falcon Heavy, uh, which is basically three Falcon 9 rockets bolted together, uh, carried a satellite of the size of a, a, small, a small bus into an orbit more than 20,000 miles above the Earth. It was Perhaps one of the most uh, demanding missions uh, from a techno- technical perspective that SpaceX has ever executed, 
And um, just placing a satellite of that mass into that high of an altitude, you know, we, we've seen the Falcon Heavy launch uh, a Tesla Roadster into uh, into interplanetary space, uh, orbiting out uh, near the distance of Mars. That was a difficult mission uh, too uh, a few years ago on a, on the Falcon Heavy's first flight. Some of you may, uh, your listeners may remember that. But uh, this particular mission, with the size of the spacecraft going to 20,000 miles, actually re- actually required uh, all of the fuel on board this huge Falcon Heavy uh, to do that job. And SpaceX was even not able to uh, recover any of the boosters from the first stage. And that's something that SpaceX uh, likes to do. They like to recover their rockets after every mission to reuse them uh, uh, to save time and save, save uh, uh, costs. But they weren't able to do that on this mission, and the payload on this mission was a, a large internet satellite for a company called Viasat, and uh, that's one of the big competitors uh, for uh, against SpaceX's own Starlink internet network to provide a broadband connectivity from space. So we're seeing SpaceX's competitors in the uh, in the satellite business come to them uh, yeah. to launch their satellites. We saw OneWeb do that. It's another competitor in the Internet from space business, uh, Viasat, and then uh, Hughes Network Systems will be doing it again later this year on another Falcon Heavy, another big Internet satellite. Uh, so SpaceX is the only U.S. company this year that has reached orbit. Um, their main rivals, United Launch Alliance, have, hasn't launched a mission this year. We've seen a couple of new startups uh, try to launch small rockets into orbit, on test flights this year, they have not reached orbit successfully on those test flights. So in the U.S. launch business so far this year, it's uh, SpaceX or bust. Yeah, and it is incredible. I would assume built into the cost was the fact that, oh, by the way, all three of the boosters on this Falcon Heavy won't be returned. So I'm sure uh, that, that that company was charged for that, as you pointed out um, I, I would assume the cost to the launch is much less if they're able to recover that first stage. Exactly. You can, you can amortize the cost of uh, yep. the booster over 10, 15 missions if you recover the, the boosters. So SpaceX, we do know, does charge a premium. We don't know how much that hasn't been publicized, but they do charge more money for the customers that need that extra performance from the rocket. Yeah, it, it is extraordinary. A couple of headlines. It, it looks like uh, a private mission uh, aboard a Dragon capsule that would fly in a Falcon 9 rocket uh, has been delayed a bit. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, that that mission is uh, called Polaris Dawn, and uh, some of your listeners, you probably remember certainly a couple of years ago, a billionaire named Jared Isaacman uh, flew a fully private mission into orbit on a, on a SpaceX Dragon spacecraft on a Falcon 9 rocket as sort of a, uh, a charity uh, fundraising mission sure. for St. Jude's uh, uh, Medical Research uh, Center. But uh, this upcoming mission, is, is he's going to be flying again on a Dragon spacecraft, and he's recruited a former Air Force test pilot and two SpaceX engineers to go with him, and they're going to attempt uh, the first commercial spacewalk. He's gonna actually going to leave the capsule in a spacesuit, and it'll be the first time a spacewalk has ever been done by a non-government astronaut. And uh, the delays associated with this has been the finishing up the development and qualification of this new spacesuit that SpaceX has mm-hmm. developed to protect Jared Isaacman when he goes outside. And it's, a deri- it's derived from the suits that the astronauts wear inside the capsule. But when you go outside the capsule, you need additional uh, protection from uh, 
potential hits from space junk or tiny, you know, micrometeoroids as they're called, any pebbles or bits of space wow. debris floating around in, in orbit. And you also need a, a umbilical that uh, will feed you power and air from the capsule out to a certain distance from the spacecraft. So those are some of the new innovations in the suit that's you know, taking a little bit longer to develop uh, than originally expected, but it's uh, something like it has never been done by a private company before, so it's another first. Yeah, and what, what's extraordinary about that as well is I believe the, this you know would be a first attempt to do something like this from that capsule, and having that technology is important if SpaceX ever decides to build its own uh, orbiting platform, if you will. They would n- need to have this technology, if you will, uh, on their resume, that, that they actually can send people out and do work outside, so to speak, in the vacuum of space. Exactly. You're exactly right. And, and this, these spacesuits that are used for spacewalks are probably more accurately described as single-person spacecraft. Because sure. they have to provide cooling, water, um, you know, yet you have to provide power, uh, all this capability to support the person inside for a number of hours outside the spacecraft. And um, we've seen reports from, you know, NASA is trying to go back to the moon with the Artemis program. And the two um, most, two areas that need the most work for that to happen are a lander to land on the moon, which SpaceX is developing uh, with the Starship rocket, and then a spacesuit. Uh, so those are the two main things that uh, could delay the return of humans to the moon. Uh, you know, you think of a lander, that's all, kind of obvious, but a lot of people don't think about the spacesuit. You need to have a spacesuit that is qualified to, to walk on the moon and is more flexible than the suits that NASA astronauts currently wear when they're going outside the space station, which are 40 years old in many cases. And so a new spacesuit, uh, not only is this the first private company to, to develop a new uh, spacewalking suit with SpaceX doing it, it hasn't been done by anybody really from scratch in, wow. in 40 years. Well, Stephen, always good to visit with you before I let you go real quick. What are the headlines? What are the things to look for in the coming couple of weeks? I think one thing to look forward to uh, certainly this month is the uh, the next crew launch to the space station. It's a fully private, fully commercial uh, mission uh, in partnership between NASA, uh, a company called Axiom Space, mm. SpaceX, which, which will be launching the mission, and the government of Saudi Arabia. So it'll be the first two uh, Saudi Arabian astronauts to go to the International Space Station for about 10 days or so. And it's uh, also on board as, as a, a wealthy uh, entrepreneur, U.S. American businessman who's bought his seat uh, on the Dragon spacecraft, and it's commanded by a very decorated veteran, a NASA astronaut named Peggy Whitson. And so they're going to be going up to the space station for about 10 days uh, later this month, launching from here at Kennedy Space Center with SpaceX. All right. Well, Stephen, always good to visit with you once again. Stephen Clark from SpaceFlightNow.com joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline on this Saturday. Have, Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right, Stephen Clark. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll update the weather. And then our friends from KNS uh, Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning uh, will will join us because it is going to warm up. We could we could touch eighty again near the end of this week. We did get a little taste of that, but we are going to be relying on our air conditioners. I know it's hard to believe, but uh, Eric Anselson is going to join us, Metro Manager for KNS. Uh, we'll, we'll give us some tips on how to make sure you're ready 
when it gets hot and humid in these parts. It is 2.34 here at News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We got that little stretch of 80-degree weather when we thought winter and the terrible weather was over. We actually turned on the air in the house. And then it was kind of like, oh, I better change over the filter and make sure everything's good. And I thought, hey, perfect timing. We, we've had another cool snap, but it is going to indeed warm up. Highs in the upper 70s. And then beyond that, we know there's going to be hot and humid stuff, and we will need the air conditioning. And Eric has a metro manager for KNS Heating and Air Conditioning. Good enough to join us. Eric, it's been a while. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's been uh, kind of unusual. We've had this lingering winter. Uh, I'm sure most of us have been running the heat uh, in in April and even here in early May. But, but that yeah. will indeed change, won't it? Well, I heard you talking about it just a second ago, and, yeah. and I'm hoping for that as well. I'm, I'm hoping for some, some good warm days, which, which means air conditioners are needed sometimes, yes. Yeah, for sure. But uh, there are things people uh, can do right now that are important as we head for cooling season, eventually, in these parts. And, and I alluded to it. When, when we did have to fire up the air, it's like, I haven't, I haven't changed a filter. And I typically do it in the spring and in the fall uh, in the house. And, and I went out and picked up a new filter and, and popped it in. I felt really good about myself for doing that. But we, we've been joined by you and, and, and Brian Keene as well at KNS, and filters are a big deal. They are. They become very important. They, they help maintain the efficiency of your AC unit, whether it's a, a brand new one and very high efficient or, or even the, the ones that are a couple of years older, that, that airflow becomes very, very important for efficiency and also for eliminating that, that pesky humidity in the air as well. So you want to make sure that that has great airflow. Yeah, and how, how often do you recommend? Because uh, I, I've taken your advice and Brian's advice over the years, and, and I've got the most expensive filter. I, I have a 4-inch wide filter, and it's it's a 20 by 25 by 4, and I I haven't spent a ton of money on it because you guys have always said airflow is really the big deal. 
It is, yeah. And if you have one of those great filters, and we very much recommend those, in fact, they get up to even five inches thick, you increase that surface area, so you're able to pass through um, a lot more air um, than, than some of those one-inch filters. There's a lot of folks out there right now, uh, myself included, actually, that are, that are stuck with that just one-inch thick filter, mm. and sometimes they're a 20 by 25 by one, sometimes a 20 by 20 by one. The most important thing for those is that we need to make sure that it's not restricting that airflow by, like you said, having a little bit more inexpensive filter. And then for us, one-inch filter people, we're, uh, we're changing it out once a month. That's what uh, we recommend for that. And, uh, you know, we have them at K&S, but they're also available, like you said, at, at most hardware stores out there as well. Now, if if you have a, a four inch filter or a five inch thick filter, is is that something where maybe uh, when when the seasons change, like I, I've kind of gone by spring, and then I do it again in the fall when we we get into the colder weather again. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. Um, there's a great spot in all those filters to uh, to mark it off. Um, you can set up calendar calendar alerts on your phone. And then there's also a lot of these smart thermostats out there where you can set it up where you say once a month it's going to remind you, uh, once every six months, or for the lucky people, uh, you know, that we've installed units for and put in those five-inch filters, we basically just go off that anniversary date of of when that unit was installed, you know, give or take a couple days. And there are some caveats with that as well as far as I've been in a lot of homes um, where there's multiple pets. And we love pets in Minnesota. I have a rabbit that runs around my house sometimes. And, and uh, those little fluff balls can, can really change the, the life expectancy of those filters by, you know, a, a small percentage. So like you with your four-inch filter, if, if you had any pets in the house, one, two, maybe even three pets, you'd want to think about looking at that a little bit earlier than that six-month mark. So there's, there's a couple different factors there. Metro Manager for KNS Heating and Air Conditioning, Eric Asselson, joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline today. If you have a quick question, we invite you to send a text today, uh, 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. And, Eric, I want to jump back to a couple other things. Is there a lot of do-it-yourself things that people can do when it comes, if you have central air conditioning, uh, and, and I'm thinking about that outdoor condenser unit, is it something where maybe you can spray it off, make sure the leaves aren't piled up? But beyond that, I would assume, you know, having a pro out to do a tune-up is, is really the only way to go. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's a lot of things, um, you know, that can be done in the home, like you said, as far as a nice gentle setting from a garden hose can kind of help throughout the season there uh, eliminate some of that pesky cottonwood. Uh, I know down here in the in the southern metro we have a lot of those old cottonwood trees that are still in play, and we've even had instances where we go out to do a you know a proper tune-up on a system, uh, clean it off very very well, and and within weeks that thing can be covered again, depending on when those uh, you know start to seed, and so. Uh, what we do is we'll get in there and do a deep clean. We check a lot of electrical connections, um, you know, check the refrigerant pressures, things like that that need some specialty tools. And once you're all set up then for that season, I think it's a really good idea for, for those people in those areas to maybe 
once a month or so, go through, um, you know, with, when the AC is turned off and spray those units down. Uh, a lot of people get nervous about that because there are electrical things involved. But as you spoke about a few minutes ago, there's there's a lot of rain coming down right now. And those units are meant to be out in that water and out in those elements as well. All right. So, but but gentle. You don't want to dig out the power washer and take it Ooh, to definitely that. Definitely not, yeah. <laughs> Very much agreed, yes, yes. We've seen some damage happen from those, yeah. Just a just a, a couple, maybe four to five minute um, gentle stream over that unit can really, really help that unit out along the season. And if you need a pro to come out there, um, you know, in the middle, that's always okay too. But we do recommend getting that system checked out. Uh, maybe maybe a couple weeks ago when we had those two hot days of uh, yep. of weather there, it was a, a good thing we were getting out into a lot of homes, and we've been out in, in hundreds, if not thousands, of homes since then. Yeah, and I, I would assume, though, it, it's one of those, we talked about filters, certainly a do-it-yourself project, but when, when it comes to the tune-ups, is, is that a good thing to go by, you know, before we get into the, you know, June, July, August, get a tune-up, and then in the fall again, you know, before we know it's going to get real cold, uh, we get into October, you should be thinking about getting that furnace tune-up. That It's probably worth the money to spend a couple of times a year. Yes, and there's a lot of companies, ourselves included, that have a maintenance program where we actually set it up where when the weather is perfect for it, when you're hopefully not using your AC and not using your furnace, that's the ideal time to come out, come in those middle two stages there, the spring and the fall, and kind of like a road trip, you want to get your, your car checked out before you start on a long road trip. And, and the same is true for your furnace or your air conditioner. So right now we're getting a lot of those air conditioners set up for the season. Um, a lot of that does have to do with some of the internal components like the blower fan of the furnace as well that we're checking all the time. But definitely a good thing to do, you know, before you get started, maintain that efficiency so that uh, you're not spending as much on your electric bill utilizing that AC unit. Um. We've got a few more minutes with uh, Eric, uh, Metro Manager for KNS Heating and Air Conditioning. And you you can certainly send us a text. We have time. We're going to get to that in a moment. We have a couple that uh, came in already. Uh, the number is 651-461-9226. 651-461-9226. We'll, we'll come back. Uh, with more with Eric Asselson in a moment here on News Talk. E3OWCCO. Hey, we're pleased to be joined by Eric Asselson, Metro Manager for KNS Heating and Air Conditioning. Time's a little tight. We want to get to a couple that came in on the talk and text line for Eric. Uh, here's a good one, Eric. Uh, we turned on our air conditioning unit, and it's not cooling, um, but... Uh, there appears to be some freezing on the outside line. Um, what what could be going on there? Well, a couple different things, but the main one that pops into my head is, is potentially just uh, low levels of that refrigerant that's inside that unit, whether it be the old or the new style of refrigerant. Um, that could be a telltale sign of that. Um, could be an airflow issue. We, we'd want to definitely check it out, um, but that'd be my first guess. Would be a, a refrigerant level issue. There could be a, a minor leak that over this last winter could maybe have uh, have gotten to be a little bit larger of a leak. All right, uh, sounds good. Uh, another one we've got from our talk and text line. I have thirty year old off peak electric heat. 
I had to replace the relay two years ago, now having problems again. What, what could be going on? Boy, 30-year-old uh, electric heat, that, that's pretty good run. That's, uh, yeah, that's definitely beyond some of their life expectancies. Yeah. But, um, you know, there could be uh, something simple that's needed, um, you know, like a relay or a part. It could be a bad heating element inside there as well. Um, we have some HVAC technicians and some electricians that would do a better job at diagnosing that on the spot and, and seeing what the culprit could be because we want to make sure that not only can we repair that, but then also we take care of if there were any underlying issues that, that caused that to malfunction. That's a good thing to have so you don't put money into something uh, and repair it just to have the same thing happen again. So a couple different options there. Well, uh, our, our time is tight, Eric. Always good to visit with you. Uh, we visited with, with Brian Keene as well. KNS uh, Heating, Air Conditioning, Plumbing, and Electrical website, ksheating.com, serving the Twin Cities area and Rochester. Take care, Eric. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much. All right. There he is. Eric Aslison joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. We've got to run. We have all the news, all the weather coming up at 3 o'clock. We'll get started on a sports Saturday. Andy Greeter covers the loons for the Pioneer Press. Uh, are they going to score any goals? Um, it's really been a struggle. And then Phil Miller covers the Twins for the Star Tribune. The Twins take on Cleveland. Our coverage beginning at 4.30 here on CCO. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.